And we are on the air. Happy Friday, everybody. Today is July 21st, and this is episode 30 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This. With us is John Downey, the Iron Man of Cable. John is also CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. Welcome, John. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, people ask me, I, I checked in, they're like, what's your name? I'm like, John Downey. I said, my brother is Robert Downey Jr. He's, <laughs> I, he's Iron Man. I'm like Titanium Man, so. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, actually, I like, I like the Iron Mia comes up with these things. So, you know, Mia always puts, she's, uh, she does pre and post production of all these and creates the podcast, but she comes yeah. up with these. I, I like the Iron Man of Cable. If you want to go with Titanium Man of Cable, I'm Titanium Man. I can't do Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. plays Iron Man. Okay, we got you know, so, uh, you know, I, I looked up his name, Robert Downey Jr. His middle name is John. No. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> Google it. Google that. That's funny. That's a good coincidence, man. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So today's episode, we're covering the last part, the third part of John's best practices on Doxis CMTS. So if you've been following us for a while, we're now on episode 30. We've done 30 of these things, John, over this like wow. the past two and a half years, I think, because we do on average about once every month, even though we've had some requests from our listeners to do once a week. We can't, we, we cannot handle one show a week. One a month is good, but over the past, I think we did the first one like in January or something, December, then we did part two, was it somewhere yeah, in March, did. and now we're on part three of, you've, you have like a, a really nice PowerPoint deck on, on these best practices for Doxis CMTS, so finally we're, we're on the, the, the final part of it, which kind of gets yeah. into some more of the advanced uh, areas of, well... We'll get into these. We'll we'll go through each part of it, but I'm kind of excited about this. I don't know. Is there anything we want to cover before we get into um, this best practices, John? Um, any conferences that uh, have come up, or have you done any local SETE? Uh, you know, I, I haven't done any local SETE, but I do want to give a shout out. I was I was up in the north. I don't want to mention any specific systems. I want to give a shout out. I was with a great group of customers up north this past week. Fantastic folks. So we can give a shout out to all you. I know a number of you are going to be listening today. You guys are fantastic. I really, really enjoyed spending the time with you. And and we did some training. We had uh, we had a, a really nice day, a nice dinner. Great spending time with you folks. Hope you're listening. Hope you continue listening. And uh, just thanks for spending all the time with me that you did. It's a great time. So just giving a shout out to those folks. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's all. I think you know we're kind of getting into the doldrums of summer here. Everyone's getting on vacation and stuff. We're not going to have a show in August, I don't believe. Uh, we're I think the next one's going to be scheduled uh, probably the week or two after Labor Day weekend. Okay. So that's our. Okay. And for those of you that aren't in the U.S., Labor Day weekend is like the first weekend in September. So that's uh, that's a U.S. holiday. Yeah, September third, I think it is. Yeah, something like that. So, how about you, John? Have you done any SCTE shows or any uh, any? You know the the local chapters. You know we we try to do WebExes. It's I mean it's just as easy to do a remote WebEx, uh, especially for a presentation. Now for me, I like doing whiteboarding, uh, so it's tough to do a whiteboarding yeah. session 
and fly or, you know, go segue into different things like I do. Um, you just like to smell the markers. Yeah. <laughs> Only if they're flavored, like the blueberry ones. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll do some remote stuff. And um, I think it actually helps some of the text that can just watch it later. It's recorded. And then it can stay at home and, and watch it, you know. When we would go to some of the local chapters, the systems can't afford to take their text for an entire day. Yeah. So as a presenter like you and I, we might have to do the same session twice. Right. Which is okay, but it, it, it becomes difficult too because you forget like what you talked about in the first half versus the second half. And it, it comes, uh, you become a little redundant. It's like, I want to put all my energy into one presentation and just be done with it. Uh, so it's difficult. And then how do you justify it, you know, flying to Oklahoma or wherever for one hour or two hours? Um, you know, I could talk for half a day, but uh, nothing's been coming up lately. Uh, you know, getting prepped for SETE Expo in October in, in Denver. Um, I just submitted my presentation for that. Docs is 3-1 downstream lessons learned. And I'm sure that's probably what you and I might talk about, say, in the uh, August timeframe or September timeframe, yep. our next hangout. Maybe we'll use these guys as a, uh, a sounding board. Yes. You know, what we could do is we could do a, a, a quick presentation because really I only get 15 or 20 minutes at Expo. Maybe we do that in September and then people can give us feedback for what I can throw into it for the October Expo. Yep. I don't know. You know, we can, we can see how it goes. Um, other than that, I mean, things are busy with Doxus 3.1. Remote Fi is really starting to catch hold, uh, at least for people's interest in Remote Fi and the architecture and what does it really bring to the table. Um, but Doxus 3.1 downstream, we have a lot of lessons learned now. Uh, we're now getting into, say, a little bit of upstream, Doxus 3.1 upstream. And uh, that's going to be interesting. I have a, a few ideas on the upstream as well. So you're talking about OFDMA in the upstream for DOCSIS 3.1, right? Correct. So are, are, are there field deployments? I mean, are you seeing field deployments where it's no, OFDMA no. or this is more lab work that you're seeing for OFDMA? More lab work. I mean, you think about it, people have very limited upstream spectrum and no one has code yet that I know of that will do TAFDMA, mm -hmm. time and frequency division of multiple access. Right. So you have to really allocate spectrum for 3.1 and allocate spectrum for 3.0 and 2.0 and there is no spectrum. I mean, 5 to 42 megahertz, where's your spectrum? Yeah. So if you're doing a 5 to 85 megahertz, yeah, we could do it. But 5 to 42, I'm not really seeing how it's going to help me uh, until I can share that spectrum, you know, time sharing. Right. Um, and the only reason we do 3.1 upstream is because you really need higher speeds in the upstream. Uh, until we start reaching, say, 200 meg in the upstream, 100 meg in the upstream, you know, with 418 May, you can get 108, so you could offer a 50 meg service. Some people might offer a little bit higher, but to offer 100 meg service, you could still do eight channel upstream bonding if you have 585. Yeah, and actually, I, no I have, I mean, I, I, I know of a number of customers that are getting to the point where they're doing eight channel bonding in the upstream. They're, they're doing it because they're using smaller channels uh, because of noise in the upstream. So that's the reason they're doing eight channel bonding. So, so, they're, so they're doing eight channel, but. 3.2 megahertz wide channels? Yeah, and when you get down to the lower frequencies, they're, do, they're going even smaller than 3.2, and they're finding success with that. Uh, because they have really noisy returns, you yeah. go, they're going to the smaller channel bandwidths and being able to get more more noise through. Or, I'm the sorry, problem more I, bandwidth through under yeah, yeah. the smaller channel bandwidths. Yeah. The problem I see with that is you are paying a flat rate for that upstream channel, at least from our side, it's a license for the channel. Using that channel at such a small capacity, 
mm-hmm. you're wasting money. To me, my mind, you're wasting money. If you did a 6.4 megahertz wide channel, you pay X. You do a 1.6, you pay X. So I should do one 6.4 versus four 1.6s. Yeah. You understand? Yeah, no, that's actually no. a very good point to, to communicate to folks that, that the licensing cost is, yeah. is something to really consider. Maybe spend a little more time trying to get the noise down or, you know, yeah. just, just got to focus on that. I mean, but I understand also that the, the reasoning of going from 6.4 to 3.2, because we keep same average power, that 3.2 will go up by 3 dB. Mm-hmm. So you gain 3 dB of carrier noise ratio. You right. go to 1.6, you go up another 3 dB. So now you gain 6 dB in robustness. You do 16 qualm, you gain 7 dB in robustness or 5 dB in robustness versus 64 qualm. So, yeah, I can understand going to smaller channel width. And by the way, 3.0 basically made 0.2, 0.4, and 0.8 a may, not a must. And so we don't even support those bandwidths anymore. And if you were using a 0.8 megahertz wide upstream channel, you, you're, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing doxis. <laughs> you know, I would just filter out that spectrum if it's that bad. You know, yes. if I had my own way, I'd filter out the low spectrum at the fiber node to help alleviate upstream laser clipping. If I still had, you know, uh, especially FP lasers. Right. Um, I'm assuming most lasers are DFP, yeah, but yeah, yeah. If we get digital, much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This you system never know, does right? not have FP Fabre Pro lasers yeah. when they're running that much doxis on the upstream. Because the, yeah. the older FP lasers, as, as I think what you're implying, that's going to experience laser clipping. And yeah, so it's going to have but problems. Funny, but, it, but it is funny you mentioned the eight-channel upstream bonding because that actually segues into one, some of our best practices. So why don't you throw up the, the slides and then we'll go right into, uh, I think we left off at getting down deeper, the devil's in the details, of the cable interface. All right. I'll so the cable interface. We have, uh, yeah. we have the slides up now. And for those that are just listening to the audio, you know, the slides are kind of just for people that are watching and they want to read it. But... If you're listening to the audio podcast only, you're still going to hear everything that we're talking about here. So we have a slide up right now that says cable interface configurations. And now John's going to start talking to the bullets that are on there. So, John, please proceed. So the bullets here are really to focus on the what we call the MAC domain, the cable interface configuration. A MAC domain is a set of downstreams and upstreams that the modem can listen to and transmit on. Uh, you could do load balance from within the upstream and the downstream and all that. Now, there are some commands that go under this cable interface that, by default, they might not be the best. Um, normally, you'll have default settings that will make your system run appropriately for 90% of the systems out there. And that's why you make them defaults. But once you understand how your system really works, you might be able to tweak some of these things. And that's where we come up with best practices. And, and I usually tell people, I was like, here are the pros and cons of doing different settings. And you make a decision, is it worth it or not worth it? I don't know what your network looks like. I don't know if it's a node plus five architecture. I don't know if it's 550, 758, 60 megahertz system, one gig system. You know, I don't know if it's digital upstream or still analog upstream. So there's a lot of things I have to take into consideration. So this slide is kind of a agenda sort of what's coming up. I talk about some commands called power just continue, uh, a command called max channel power offset, uh, upstream balance scheduling command, a SID cluster command, whether or not you're going to do four or and or two channel upstream bonding. Like a lot of people might do two two channel bonding groups inside the four channel bonding group. And there's a reason why you might do that. Uh, and how does upstream bonding partial mode work? Uh, how do I move my service flows if I do go into partial mode? And also map advance. Map advance is one of those things that's highly misunderstood. 
and you can optimize the map advance for different node architectures, meaning the, the uh, optical link loss and link budget. Um, so let's go to the next slide, and I actually show an example. Yeah, go ahead. So, so the one thing I want to ask is, you know, when we talk about like power adjust continue, my mind would automatically think this would go apply to something like station maintenance. Station maintenance being when the modem every 20 seconds checks in with the CMTS and says, you know, how's, how am I doing? And the CMTS looks at that signal and says, well, you need to adjust your power level a little bit. You need to adjust your frequency. Um, your timing needs a little adjustment. And all the modems are checking in with the CMTS every 20 seconds. And they're kind of doing these adjustments all the time to ensure that all modems are at the right power level, frequency, and maybe even making pre-equalization adjustments. Is that is that what Correct. these interface configurations are doing? Is that for station maintenance? Uh, but, but at least for that first one, for the power just continue. I mean, once the modem is fully registered, let's suppose if modem's fully registered, upstream levels look fine, you want to have a sort of a band-aid on the CMTS that allows the modem to stay online even when the temperature fluctuates. And especially right now, this time of year, I mean, sun-loaded, black-jacketed cable, my God, that's like 40 degrees over ambient temperature. You know, that's the rule of thumb. So it's 100 degrees out right now in North Carolina. So that's 140 with black jacket sun-loaded cable. So the attenuation of our coax is going to go up a lot. The attenuation goes up. CMTS sees lower level. CMTS tells the modem to transmit higher. But what if that modem is already at max transmit? Now the modem can't transmit higher than what it's capable of. So it maxes out at, say, four-channel upstream bonding, 51 dBmV per channel because it's doing 64 qualm. So it's at 51 max, hits the CMTS at minus three. Well, maybe hitting the CMTS at minus three, the MERs really aren't that bad. So why not just let the modem stay on the line? You know, why would I say, oh, you're outside this this window of plus minus one, so let's make the modem re-register. That would be crazy. So we're like, let's put in a kind of a catch-all or a Band-Aid in the CMTS to allow these fluctuations in levels and let the modem stay online and if the MER is bad, well, then eventually it has uncorrectable factor, it might go into partial mode, but we can have that modem stay online. Uh, yes, the MERs for that specific modem might be lower than the other modems that are hitting the CMTS at zero. These ones are hitting at minus three, minus four. So the power just continue, our default from Cisco is four dB. So if your default level to hit CMTS is zero, anything from zero to minus four will let the modem stay online. But I recommend we do six. So six dB is four times more power. You know, every 3 dB is double power. Uh, so 6 dB is nice. Uh, some people have gone as far as 8 to 10 dB, but I don't like to push my luck. If you let a modem stay online and it's hitting at minus 10, that means it's even closer to the noise floor. So his MER is much worse than everybody else's. Uh, he might be dropping a lot of, uh, getting a lot of uncorrectable effect. If you have enough of those devices in this power adjust window, uh, you could have more station maintenance bursts happening over and over and over again. So it's a lot of uh, entries in the flap list for power insertions in the flap list. So you have a lot more activity in the flap list. Um, <laughs> I also find that if you let a modem hit the CMTS and say minus 10 and stay online, what happens if a modem is, say, in the head end and you're using it as a test modem and it's hooked up to upstream one? But you didn't really put in proper padding to force the modem to transmit at, say, 45 dBmV. And the modem comes up on upstream one at, say, 30 dBmV. So that modem registered fine, 30 dBmV. But what if 
like how much range does that modem still have left if it ever goes offline and comes back and starts ranging off string zero? 30 yeah. dBmV. It could it go could all the way to like 50, 52, 60 almost. 50, sometimes with the extended uh, transmit power could go to much higher. So it has so much reserve left, it could potentially find a, another path in the head end because of combining splitting the architecture that it actually finds a bleed over path to get over to upstream zero. So now you have a modem that registers on an upstream port you didn't think was actually physically connected. But it is physically connected because of your splitting combining, meaning your splitting combining is different for different services. Your sweep gear, your high-speed data gear, your voice, your set-top boxes. So if you draw out the actual flow diagram of all your connectivity, you might find that modems have another path and overcome port-to-port isolation. And then if you do power just continue 10, you just gave that modem 10 dB more range to register on an upstream port. Right. So it might do a NIT R1, and maybe it gets stuck in NIT R1, it might get to a NIT R2, but then it can't fine tune, so it actually goes offline. So you're scratching your head trying to figure out why is this modem like going NIT R1 and NIT R2 offline. Then eventually it actually comes up on, on you know, the proper upstream. Right. So there's a lot of stuff like that. that best, this is part of best practices. Sure, of course. All right, so thanks for clarifying that. So you're ready for uh, the next slide now, yes? Yeah. Yeah, so, so this next slide goes into the actual cable interface configuration, and we'll kind of uh, talk through some of these uh, settings. So at the very beginning, there's a load interval uh, command. That default is 300 seconds, so that's five minutes. I found that depending on the iOS code, this command will affect my upstream utilization reporting for load balancing, um, and... It's, it, it, it's a best practice for me to set this to 30 seconds, which is the lowest setting. I want my rolling time average window to be a 30 second rolling average uh, instead of 300 seconds. And the reason why is if you were doing upstream load balance between upstream boxes 2.0 and a modem moves from one upstream to another, but the utilization doesn't actually catch up for 300 seconds, load balance is like, oh, now I need to move another modem and another modem. Well, the utilization is still not balanced. So let's move another modem. So, so is, is load interval, is that looking at the utilization or is it looking at how frequently we move cable modems around? I mean, exactly. No, no, no. That's not the load balance interval. So load balance interval is the interval for load balancing. So that's a different, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a load balance interface configuration. This command affects how the utilization is being reported. Okay. It has nothing to do with... with it, it's not a low balance interval, but it's affecting how the utilization is being reported, which then low balance could be affected by. Right. So, so this is how often basically we're going out from a like a compute from a, a monitoring standpoint within the CMTS or CCAP and looking and saying, well, what is the load on the CMTS or CCAP? Correct. It's not a polling interval. We're not saying we're polling every thirty seconds. It's basically. Give me the utilization average over thirty seconds. Okay. Now that could be that could be pulled every second, you know. It could be pulled every five minutes, but that instant that you grab the information, it's a thirty-second average. So yeah, so so it's almost like what is the average load over thirty seconds versus what yes. is the average load over three hundred seconds? And you're saying the default is three hundred seconds, which yeah, much greater time long. frame. So you're not seeing yeah. the, the the fluctuations as great because. Yeah. 
uh, when you do it at 300 seconds because it's, it's a much longer averaging period. You're kind of smoothing out that load. Exactly. So you could have utilization going to 100% and 0%, 100%, 0%, but it averages to 50. Right. So <laughs> that's why I say, you know, people talk about load balancing and utilization reporting. I'm like, yeah, but what time frame are you talking about? Yeah. So if, say you did a load interval of 24 hours equivalent, whatever that works, that's, I forget how, 3,600, no, I forget how many seconds that is. But anyhow, if you did like, you know, load interval 20, 24 hours, you would never see the peak traffic that occurs typically on any cable system from you know, 6 p.m. to midnight or something. So Correct. you would kind of miss the fact that, you know, you might have some load average throughout your system, but you wouldn't be moving modems around between 6 p.m. and midnight when you really have the heavy load. You'd, you'd, you'd just Correct. be kind of, it'd be a static system. Yeah, you have a lot of congestion happening, customers complaining, but then your recording would say everything is fine. Yeah. Okay, that totally makes sense. All right. So that's the load interval, and I, I recommend setting it to the lowest setting of 30 seconds. Some people might do 60 seconds, say, yeah, one minute, or, or it's really up to them. Um, the As you go through my configuration, I have the power adjust continue of six. The default's four, but I say, you know, open it up to 60 B. Give yourself a little bit more breathing room for modems to be able to max transmit and still stay online if they're between zero and minus six. Mm -hmm. We have another command we came up with what's called cable upstream balance scheduling. It's not on by default and I recommend turning it on because it allows my upstream bonded traffic to be more evenly distributed across all the upstreams of the bonding group. If we look at my configuration further in, I have a four channel upstream bonding group and then I have a two channel upstream bonding group as well. Um, and I'll explain why I have those two. Um, when I look at the upstream balance scheduling command, it helps to distribute the mini slots evenly across. So if a 3.0 modem says, hey, I need 100 mini slots, it would evenly distribute 25, 25, 25, 25. That way upstream 0, 1, 2, and 3 have an equal number of mini slots allocated, and my utilization appears a lot more evenly distributed. What we found out is without this command, upstream 0, or the first upstream the bonding group, was getting more hit or more utilization than the others. And you could argue that that's okay as long as there's no congestion. Because our scheduler was basically saying, you know, throw a bunch of mini slots in upstream zero. Um, I still have upstream one, two, and three. Uh, if I make all the mini slots contiguous in one scheduler, I have less chance of jitter, less chance of latency. Uh, there, there's no need to schedule more in upstream one, two, and three because upstream zero is not that congested anyway. And if it does start getting congested, we'll just schedule more in upstream one, two, and three. Well, this became a problem for, say, people's reporting. They're like, hey, this is looking awfully strange because upstream zero is always at 80% and the other one's at 40 and the other one's at 20 and 20. It's like, how do I make this look, the quote unquote look or appear more evenly distributed? And so we came up with this command to make it more evenly distributed and also report based on a 30-second rolling window as well. That way it's evenly distributed. Because uh, if it's not, it's 3.0 traffic creating an imbalance, then DOCSIS 2.0 load balance could kick in. Right. Because it makes it, then 2.0 might say, oh, I need to move modem from upstream 0 to upstream 1 because upstream 0 is congested. And that command is cable upstream balance scheduling, right? Yes. And, and so yes. you're saying that that will evenly distribute the traffic from upstream instead of having all the traffic kind of generally hanging out on upstream zero that evenly balances it across upstream zero one two and three when you're doing correct upstream correct. load balancing 
So it's not on by default. So I recommend that people just turn it on and uh, then you'll get your upstream to look more balanced okay. and, and evenly balanced. Now, I, I do have a question. Let's say you didn't have that command on and, and all of your traffic was on upstream zero. What, what, would, be, if you, what would be your recommendation to set your frequencies for upstream zero, one, two, and three? Would upstream zero, should that be your lowest frequency? Or should upstream zero be your highest frequency? I had this debate also as well, where before we had this command, I said, you know, if the scheduler is kind of round robin assigning mini slots on the upstreams and it's going from zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, you definitely don't want to make upstream zero one of your smallest channels. Like if you were doing uh, mixed mode or bonding with a TDMA and ATDMA, you definitely don't want to make upstream zero TDMA. You want to make upstream zero the biggest channel possible. Do you understand? And and is you want to make it right? You want to make it big because then it's going to handle the capacity better, right? Correct. Frequency wise, uh, you might say, well, I want to make sure it's one of my cleanest frequencies. But remember, it's just the CMTS is scheduling mini slots. But if it does get slightly congested, it'll just then start moving over to upstream one, two, and three. And it is round robin assigning through those upstreams but it just turns out it's assigning more to upstream zero. So with that in mind, I either use this command, cable upstream balance scheduling, and even it back out. But if I don't have this command, just make sure upstream zero is a good frequency and one of the biggest capacity channels you have. Yeah, I mean, I, what I'm thinking about is if I know that there, the probability that the, the, my greatest amount of traffic is going to be on upstream zero, kind of assuming I don't have this command, maybe because I'm running an older iOS version or, you know, software version on my, on my CMTS, then, then I start to think, well, maybe I want to put upstream zero at a higher frequency that's generally going to be clean, right? I don't want it to be down at 19 megahertz or 17 megahertz where there's going to be a ton of noise. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you might say, all right, uh, I'll do upstream zero. A lot of people used to do like 24 megahertz and then 24 and then 30 and 36 or, you know, 6.4 megahertz separation. And then um, maybe up, I mean, the assignment of the upstreams doesn't really matter. Uh, you could have upstream three at the lowest frequency and upstream zero at the highest frequency. But you might not want to put it at the very high frequency because of roll off. Yeah, now, well, the diplex, take some, yeah, the diplex yeah. filter is going to cause the roll off, which is cause group delay, which that also could cause issues. And so you want to keep it away from that. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. So, And then there's a lot of times that you see modem transmit levels are worse at the higher frequency, right? Because there's more attenuation than coax. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. So I, I actually, I think the best recommendation is, as you're making from a best practices standpoint is just use cable upstream balance scheduling, which then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, so, good I, point. I agree. So, so that, and that's this is why you know this is years and years of experience and looking at different systems and coming up with what we call best practices you know um, from the field and it, all you can do is tell people the pros and cons and let them make the decision. Yep. Like and the, the next line was next line was cable upstream ranging init technique two. Now this one you don't normally see this command, um, and it, even though it's talking about upstream ranging technique. I say it's better for DOCSIS 3.0 downstream load balance. Now, the that's like an oxymoron I, because it's upstream, it <laughs> but you're I saying know. it improves. Yeah, it's cable upstream uh, ranging, but it improves downstream load balancing. How in the heck does it do that, John? I know. So, when <laughs> we do, 
Doxus 3.0 load balance between bonding groups. The spec says that even if you're just changing a downstream, uh, and this this is, well, actually, let's just say Doxus 3.0. Um, how do I want to say this? Yeah, you want to change from one set of downstreams to another, but you're physically not even changing upstream, right? Downstream and upstream is independent. Sure. So you could move to a different downstream primary in a different group of eight channels. So you're doing two eight-channel bonding groups, and you move from one group of eight to another group of eight. The upstream doesn't even move. But according to the spec, the modem must redo station maintenance, upstream level, upstream timing, upstream uh, make sure the frequency is good, and pre-equalization. Right. What we're finding is when the modem moves, when you have, say, four-channel upstream bonding, you have to redo all of that readjustment on all those upstreams, and it's dropping, say, maybe five, six seconds of layer three traffic after a DOCSIS 3.0 move. Mm -hmm. It's worse with pre-EQ because the pre-equalization taps have to happen again, too. And if you're doing two or three or four channel bonding, then you have to do the pre-equalization taps for each upstream, right? Correct. So even though you didn't move anything on the upstream, which I kind of argue with Broadcom that I think it shouldn't act like that. I'm like, I can understand maybe moving to a different downstream and maybe redoing your time offset, but the, the upstream hasn't changed. You have the same upstream attenuation, same frequency, same timing, same pre-EQ. Nothing has changed on the upstream. All you did was change the downstream. And they're saying that, you know, according to the spec, we're supposed to redo all the maintenance, upstream maintenance. Yeah, there's probably a very good reason for it. Yeah, probably. Because, <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you're going from one downstream to another downstream, I mean, it could be on maybe a different transmitter. It could be, it could be on a different edge qualm. Not, I mean, it could be on the same edge qualm device, but it could be on a different port of that edge qualm. I think there's probably a different, and, and on, in that case, it would be on a different RF cable. So then you could be dealing in different frequency length or different, yeah, distances. There's probably, there is probably some, well, some reasoning well, but, that went behind but that's, that. But that's downstream. And I said, yeah, I agree. Maybe time offsets because it's different downstream. Mm -hmm. uh, but the up, remember the upstream hasn't changed. And your physical wiring hasn't changed. But regardless of that, we found that if we change from the default, which was technique uh, technique one, I believe it is, uh, and we go to technique two, according to it's like DCC techniques, technique two allows the modem to resume, resume uh, layer three traffic, and it'll do it'll wait for station maintenance to redo the pre-EQ and the level and the frequency and the time offsets. Yeah. It, technique so, one means that the modem basically has to completely go through the whole uh, registration process, right? Yes. Well, the modem doesn't go offline, but it has to do the initial maintenance stuff. Yes. So it doesn't go offline, but it has to do uh, frequency, time offset, uh, uh, what's the other one, uh, pre-EQ and levels, upstream levels. Right. Those four things. So the, the moral of the story is if I change it to technique two, when a modem moves with DOCSIS 3 or low balance, I'm getting layer three traffic back a lot faster. Yeah, and so this is going to be less, from the subscriber's point of view, they're, the probability that they're going to notice any change in service, you know, or, or any, any impairment in service is going to be much less than Technique Correct. 1. Correct. Cool, very cool. So, 
Yep. Uh, the next line was upstream max channel power offset six. This is a Cisco specific command that we added for DOCSIS 3.0 registration. So just like the power just continue allows 2.0 modems and other modems to stay online if they're within say zero to six dB. This command, this max channel power offset, allows a 3.0 modem to register properly if it's within 6 dB of the nominal. So if the nominal is zero, um, we'll let a modem do four channel bonding as long as it's within zero to minus six. Because when a 3.0 modem registers, it, it transmits on one upstream channel. It tells the CMTS its transmit level and the CMTS decides, hey, is that level good enough if I decide to let you do four channel bonding? If it doesn't, then it would force it to maybe single channel or a two channel bonding group. So, so how does exactly, so, so we have cable upstream power adjust continue six, which that allows the modem to stay online if it's within six dB of the optimal zero. That's for two modems and three modems that are already registered. Right. And this new command is for just the registration of three modems. Cable upstream max channel power offset six. Yeah. So, so the first command, cable upstream zero power just continue six, that's if they're already online. Correct. Cable upstream max channel power offset six is for new DOCSIS 3.0 modems trying to come online. They don't have enough power or maybe too much power that they can't meet that zero dBMV optimal frequency or power level, and this lets never, them never, come online. Never, correct, correct. Okay. I wouldn't say too much power. They don't have enough power. They're already maxed out, and they're hitting the CMTS between zero and minus six. The CMTS will say, you know, um, you're transmitting 55 dBMV on one channel, and the CMTS is like, well, I see a four-channel option bonding group created, and you're trying to do four-channel option bonding, but according to the spec, max output is 51 dBmV. So if I tell you to do four channel, you're going to drop to 51. So if you're transmitting 55 and you really should be doing 51, you're four dB off. So because of max channel power, so it says six, that's within that window. You're four off, but the window is six. I'll let you actually register with four channel option bonding. Yeah, I know you can only do 51. I know you're actually hitting me now. I'd say minus four, minus 4.5, minus 3.5, minus five, but you're within zero to minus six, so I'll let you stay online and I'll let you transmit and come online fully on the four channel option bonding. Okay. I, I do want to just confirm. You said it, it couldn't be too much power, but I have seen modems in head ends or um, off of maybe low-value taps where – they were actually, for DOCSIS 3.0 modems, their minimum transmit power is, I, I think, 23 dBmV. That modem yeah, will be true. at 23 dBmV, and at the, at the CMTS, it's sitting there at like 4 or 5, plus 4, plus 5, plus 6 dBmV. At well, what should happen is the modem's actually kicked offline because there's a minimum. Basically, you're gonna, the CMTS is going to say, all right, drop your level by 4 dB to hit right. me at 0, and the cable modem can't, so it actually go, it should go offline. So, so even with this cable upstream max channel power offset six, that doesn't mean it's, plus six dBmV. No, it's, it's only it's minus, six, yeah, minus six correct. dBmV. Correct. What's, the, what's the maximum positive power you can allow a modem to register with a CMTS? Well, it sounds to me like you're talking about the minimum, which the spec is 23, right? 
Well, the, the, modems, the modem's transmitting at, a, at plus 23. It's minimum transmit power. Uh, so at the CMTS... Oh, oh, that, it's that is another command. It's called power adjust threshold. Okay. I don't show it on this configuration because the default's plus minus 1 dB. Okay. And I, and I don't recommend changing that. So I, it's nominal is zero, which you can change that as well, but nominal is zero. The power adjust threshold is one, which means plus or minus one. And then the power adjust continuous is four, but I recommend six. Right. Okay. You're asking about the, the max positive side. Right. Well, that would be plus one, plus one, minus one. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Sure. So um, moving on. Well, so that max channel power offset, I've seen cases where customers can actually set that even higher to have a bigger, say, I don't want to say this, a bigger Band-Aid uh, for 3.0 modems to register properly. So maybe a max channel power offset 8 or max channel power offset 10. That way the modem fully registers in 4-channel offstream bonding. Mm -hmm. the, question? It, yeah, is there, so if you, in the upstream in particular, and you had mentioned like when you have a an upstream you're doing four-channel bonding. One of your upstreams is close to the diplex filter, and because of that, because of pre-equalization, it's compensating for some group delays, some roll-off. That channel has to transmit at a higher frequency or higher power level, but when it's arriving at the CMTS, it's going to be a different level than the other bonded channels in that bonding group. How does that impact the CMTS? Does it, if, if, one of the four channels in a bonding group is coming in at a different level. Do these commands so, impact that? So the, there's another part of the spec. It's called the DRW, dynamic range window. All the channels in upstream bonding group have to be within 12 dB of each other. I mean, that, and that's pretty high, right? That's, that's a pretty high yeah. Rate. Now, you bring up a good point about, you know, the higher frequency in the upstream having more attenuation. When a 3.0 modem registers for the first time, you don't know which upstream it's going to range on first. And all the decisions from the CMTS are made on that first channel. So if you had a case where a modem ranged on upstream three and that upstream three had to go through more attenuation and roll off and that upstream actually ranged at 60 dBmV, the CMTS would say, oh, you're doing 60 and it's assuming all four upstreams are going to be at 60. It doesn't know the other frequencies and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So it says, oh, 60, well, I know if you want to do four-channel option bonding, you can only do 51. 60 to 51 is 9 dB. That's out of the 6 dB window. So I'm not going to let you do four-channel. So let me see if there's a two-channel option bonding group created. And in my configuration, I do. So I have a two-channel. Well, that gains me 3 dB more. So the modem, according to the spec, can do 54 dBmV. And if I look at 54 to 60, that's 6 dB. That's it within the 6 dB window, very close that modem actually might register as a two-channel option bonded modem. So that's why you have a four-channel bonding group and a two-channel bonding group in your configuration that you're showing on, on this screen correct. here. Is that correct? Correct. And so notice, I made my two-channel option bonding group with upstream one and two because I knew how my scheduling might schedule more many slots in upstream zero. So I'm like, well, if any modems register with a two-channel option bonding group, maybe I'll force them onto nice, clean frequencies in upstream one and two. That's really smart. I like that. Yeah. So instead of making two two-channel option bonding groups, I just made one. Right. Yeah, very good. Very cool idea. 
So that, that's sort of the reasoning behind this, you know, of why I'm trying to get modems to register the biggest bonding group possible. I mean, that's the panacea of load balancing, right? Bonding across as many upstreams and downstreams as possible. Then you don't have to move modems. Yes. You just spread traffic. Yeah, because otherwise what I've seen is when a modem can't do channel bonding, it drops back into DOCS's 2.0 mode because it doesn't have enough power to do the load balancing. In that case, it'll just come on in DOCSIS 2 mode, and you lose all the capabilities that you want of a DOCSIS 3.0 modem. And let me make let me uh, make this even worse for you. DOCSIS 3.1 modems have to be upstream MTC mode to register in 3.1 mode. Cool. So a new 3.1 modem must be able to register an upstream bonding for it to allow it to do down for, downstream 3.1. And if it doesn't, what... Does a DOCSIS 3.1 modem fall back into like a DOCSIS 3.0 mode or a DOCSIS 2.0 mode? You would think so, right? <laughs> it's worse than that. I've seen modems just cycle back and forth between uh, registering or NIDR1 and NIDR2, uh, reject NA offline. Oh, wow. So that's, that's horrible then. That's, that's like the yeah. worst case scenario. The modem won't come online at all just because it, it, can't, it can't do channel bonding. Correct. So Basically I've seen cases where... I've seen cases where the upstream level is so bad, the modem doesn't register an upstream bonding mode. It could be single-channel upstream bonding mode, but it registers a single-channel upstream 2.0 mode, and then the 3.1 modem just basically cycles back offline. Yeah. So it never fully registers. Yeah, I, I mean, I would rather have my 3.0 modem at least come online in 2.0 mode so now I can troubleshoot it and figure out what's going on, but with a 3.1 modem, it doesn't come on at all. Uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a bad scenario. So Correct. I agree. Yeah. So, so I see an so ECR the, coming the for that next, one. <laughs> so the, the next line uh, is interesting because you talk about eight-channel upstream bonding. This is called a T4 multiplier. So a lot of people don't understand this one. The modem has a T4 time over 30 seconds. Now, you mentioned earlier the CMTS sends station maintenance every 20 seconds. Well, our CMTS, when you're doing line card redundancy, we increase that at every 15 seconds. That way, we'd have a 15-second worst-case scenario of a modem's 30-second timer running out. So it gives us 15 seconds of leeway. So we send station maintenance every 15 seconds when we have line card redundancy configured on the CMTS. So every 15 seconds, CMTS is talking to every single modem saying, here's your levels, upstream frequency, uh, time offsets, and pre-equalization, you know, if I need to readjust. When you have a modem doing upstream bonding, we have this T4 multiplier, according to the spec, that's set to zero, which means auto, which translates to how many upstreams in the bonding group. Uh, that's the number. Meaning, if I'm doing a modem is specifically doing four-turn option bonding, the T4 multiplier is four. So that modem has a 30-second timer. Times four is 120 seconds. This is why a lot of techs out in the field could disconnect the modem's cable, and they're like, why is this 3.0 modem still online? And then I pulled the cable off like two minutes ago. Because the downstream will stay locked for two minutes now. Yeah. Because it's not getting a T4 timeout. But, well, a lot of us take advantage of that feature because I know I can move cables <laughs> around in the head end without the modems going offline. If I do it with you know within like 20 seconds or so, <laughs> they stay online. It's a, it's a feature. The, that's a good news. That's <laughs> the good news. But if we're not updating our upstream MER, upstream pre-equalization, uh, and levels for 120 seconds, you're not getting pre-EQ updates for two minutes. Yeah, so that's actually the bad news from, from for me from a proactive network maintenance standpoint. So 
This is this is a nice command. Yeah, so what I'm recommending, so it gets worse if you do eight channel. Yeah, it's horrible. If you do an eight channel, now the multiplier is eight times. Two, four, 240 so seconds. Now you're, you, right? Yeah, it's, that's four minutes, right? So you're not getting MER updates for four minutes. You're not getting pre-equalization updates for four minutes per upstream. I mean, that's pretty bad. Yes. As a compromise, I've been recommending that I, I, set, I hard set my T4 multiplier to two. Now, is that variable? That Could I set that to four, which cuts yeah, me, Like if yeah. you're doing eight-channel bonding, I probably want to set that to four, so I'm getting those updates on the pre-EQ even faster. Correct. But now four times 30, 120, like two minutes. Sorry, I'm chewing on ice. <laughs> 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 I'm getting myself all heated up. Uh, Titanium, man. So, so the, whole, the whole point of the T4 multiplier was to say, well, if I had 500 modems in a Mac domain and I went to four channel upstream bonding, you would end up doing four times 500, 2,000 station maintenance bursts, even though it's only 500 homes because you have to do station maintenance in every upstream. So the spec said, well, we'll do a T4 multiplier. But the bad news is that's creating more lag in the updates from my upstream MER, my upstream level adjustments, and my upstream pre-EQ. And like you said, I think pre-EQ is kind of important yes you know but when we do this aren't we creating more congestion on the upstream and downstream because these are a lot of station maintenances messages coming from the cable modem to the cmts in the form of a uh, re, uh station maintenance request and and then a, a response from the cmts to the modem a range request range so response so I know you're, you're throwing me like a softball there because I know you should know the answer because you work for Philtronic SigTech. <laughs> and you know these station maintenance bursts are tiny, tiny compared <laughs> to everything else. It's yeah. probably like 1% overhead. So you know, and I know you're setting me up, <laughs> that no, I'm not concerned that this is going to cause congestion. It's, it's in the noise floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially since we're going 6.4 megahertz wide upstreams, ATMA. Uh, it makes it even less percentage overhead, right? Because it's still the same. It, it, it's not a concern. No, it's not. Now, now if I was doing uh, uh, thousands of set-top boxes and eight-channel upstream bonding, and I had, let's say, 2,000 devices on the Mac domain, but it was making it look like 8,000 devices, then maybe I would be a little concerned. Yes. Like, if I'm trying to do so much, what happens if I drop a few? Does that have to wait or go around again? Um, but, you know, with the, the way we're offering speeds today, the number of devices per service group is becoming less yeah. because we're trying to offer higher speeds. But station maintenance, ultimately, it's got nothing on Netflix traffic. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so this is why I say, you know, the T4 multiplier, I think setting it to two is kind of a nice compromise. Yes. I'm still getting multiple T4 timers. I'm getting a little bit more often. I'm getting updates better for my upstream MER, upstream levels, and upstream pre-EQ information. Very good. The, the next one is something that's not on by default, the next three. Um, when a modem goes to upstream bonding partial mode, like maybe the CMTS says, hey, your levels are bad or your MER is bad. I'm dropping a lot of packets on upstream three. Let's go down to three channel upstream bonding. I'm not going to schedule any mini slots in upstream three because it's bad. So I'll schedule all my mini slots upstream zero, one, and two. So that's automatic. But what if you had a scheduled flow in upstream three that's voice? Because we don't bond voice traffic. We put it on one of the upstreams in that bonding group. That way it's under the scheduler. We can control jitter and latency that voice flow will get dropped 
So you have to put in these next three commands, cable upstream resiliency, service SF-move, which is service flow move, RTPS, NRTPS, and UGS. So UGS would be for voice, RTPS, NRTPS might be for call signaling. I don't know if you're anyone's using those, but some people use NRTPS for call signaling traffic. So if that's a scheduled flow and that upstream happens to go down, you want to make sure that secondary flow actually moves over to the upstreams that are still up. Right. Yeah, so this is, this, this is if the uh, cable operator's um, providing voice traffic, right? This is all voice-associated uh, traffic that it, we're going to be able to now help improve the quality of service of this voice traffic, correct? Correct. Oh, yeah, what I'm saying is DOCSIS 3.0 EMTAs that have an upstream problem, they go into upstream bonding partial mode, they end up dropping their voice calls. Right. And these commands will help keep those voice calls up. Yeah. Now, if this is if this is non-cable operator voice traffic, like it's uh, FaceTime or Skype or like a, a Hangout like what we're doing right now, this is not going to improve that type of traffic. This is only well, that type of traffic. That type of traffic is best effort. It would be it right. would be bonded traffic anyway. So what would happen is they would still bond across the other upstreams that are still up. Yeah. Th this is only this only counts if it's managed by packet cable. Um, or yes. if somehow we're ensuring that it's a, it's the, the voice traffic is on a unsolicited grant service, a UGS service. Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. All right. And then the, the last command on in this column is cable upstream resiliency data burst. It's like one big long line. We put all these thresholds in one command. Um, data burst SNR 24, uncorrectable effect 1, correctable effect 0, hysteresis 4. Let me explain what this means. It's a new command that we are now tracking the data burst MER of the Broadcom chip. Uh, we used to just look at the station maintenance burst MER. Now we can also track the data burst, the actual data. And if the I put down some, some values I think are best. SNR, which is MER, same thing, uh, 24 dB. And the reason why I picked 24 is because I know I'm probably doing 64 qualm. Uncorrectable effect, 1%. That makes sense that uh, if I get 1% one, 1 uncorrectable effect, I'm going to uh, change th something, and I'm going to explain what that change is. Correctable effect, 0 means turn it off. I don't track correctable effect because it can cause false readings, false failovers. Hysteresis, 4, I'll explain what that means. So if I'm doing 4-channel upstream bonding and the data burst MER of upstream 3 drops below 24 dB and... The uncorrectable effect for that specific modem, now it's, it's a per modem basis, if it goes above 1% uncorrectable effect, that modem will say that upstream is unusable. So it will go into partial mode correctly when it gets below 24 dBMER and greater than 1% uncorrectable effect. And you're choosing 1% uncorrectable effect because that's typically where for any type of real-time services, particularly like voice and video, and well, I wouldn't say video, but particularly like voice services, that's where you can start to hear packet loss. So like that's when your right. voice will start to break up and the person on the other end will say, hey, I can't, I, I'm starting to notice your voice quality is bad um, when it gets above 1%. So that's when it Correct. makes sense to say, yeah, let's, let's get rid of this channel. Correct. So. And then the hysteresis four is saying, don't take that upstream out of partial mode. Don't reactivate that upstream unless the MER gets above 28. 
yep. which is the 24 plus the 4 dB. And at that so point, you're giving yourself a hysteresis so you don't get thrashing. Yeah, so it's just bouncing goes, back down, and forth, down. coming on, going off, coming on, going off. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. So this is a nice command, and it's kind of new, uh, because before we were just tracking the station maintenance burst to put a modem in upstream partial mode. And what if that station maintenance burst was QPSK? What if that station maintenance burst was 16 qualm? Here, we're actually tracking the data burst, which is probably 64 qualm. Yep. Yeah, I like the 1%. That, that to yeah. me, really resonates for uncorrectable fact, because that's always a recommendation I'm giving people. You know, some people would argue 0.1 would be better, like being more aggressive, one out of 1,000, 0.1, but we don't allow that. Yeah. So 1% it is. Cool. And then uh, the next column, I show the bonding group. So I made a four-channel bonding group and a two-channel bonding group embedded into four. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we talked about that a little bit, why I picked the two-channel as the middle upstreams versus you know two right. two-channel bonding groups. Um, the map advance, the, that could be a topic all on its own. Um, a lot of times we look at the fiber distance. We look at the time offsets the modems are, are reporting. Excuse me, and we can come up with some best practices on how to limit how high the map advance can get. Meaning, I've seen modems that start out with a time offset of, say, 3,000, and then two days later, they're up to 18,000. So that's a bad modem. That's bad firmware. Something is happening with the modem. It's doing station maintenance and adjusting its time offset every 15 seconds, but it's following a pattern where it keeps going up. Instead of going up and down, up and down, it's actually just going up, 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 up. And that can affect the timing and the map advance for everybody else on that cable interface. Right. And that's not a good thing. So map advance, I don't want to get too far into it, but yeah, there are some, some recommendations for map advance to get a little bit uh, tighter control on it. So setting a max, a cap, if you will, right. where how high modems can go up in their time offsets. The, the next line was SIG cluster. If you need 3.0 modems to get I would say greater than 20 megabits per second on the upstream, you're better off uh, setting the SID cluster, number of clusters to two. This means that a modem that does four-channel upstream bonding, a lot of times it'll use the same SID. So it might say, I have a service identifier of uh, uh, 13, and I'm going to send upstream traffic at upstream 0, 1, 2, 3 with the SID 13. And but you're saying this will help with upstream speed. On the modem, per, when you're getting above twenty, 20 yes. when you're getting above twenty megabits per second in the upstream. Correct. This will allow the modem to use two SIDs, and that way it can generate more bandwidth requests. And this because the next line ties into that. The next line says max request four. So I'm saying let this modem actually make multiple requests. Let it use two SIDs to make the request. And now you'll get much better upstream speed from the 301. Okay, so the first command is cable SID cluster group number of clusters two. So that's saying mm -hmm. use two SIDs, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second one is cable SID cluster switching max request four. So that, that allows you to, to do four requests Correct. within the, the previous so, command on two SIDs. Yeah, yeah. So you'll find those two commands. You can manipulate, try different settings, and see what your results come out to. But uh, that will help you get faster upstream speeds from yeah. a 3 modem. Yeah, the, and I think these are really important things for folks to, to listen to because 
increasing the upstream speeds is something. I mean, a lot of folks have understood how to get like 100 megabits per second in a downstream, but now they're trying to get like 25 or 30 or 40 megabits per second speed in the upstream. So these are, these are awesome commands to help optimize that. Correct. Yeah, the, the, um, the next one was the cable CM status enable. A lot of times that doesn't show up because uh, some of the CM status messages are enabled by default. I'm showing, um, the reason why it's popping up is because I activated nine and 10. CM status nine and 10 are from modems that support the battery backup and the energy management modes. So the next two lines actually turned on those features. And that is if I have a EMTA, uh, you know, cable loader with EMTA, embedded multimedia terminal adapter, and it goes to battery mode, it can send a status message to the CMTS to put it in one by one mode. Because if you have a 24 by four modem, 24 downstream bonding, four channel upstream bonding, if it goes to battery mode, you don't want all those transmitters and receivers eating up precious energy from the battery. Right. You want to make sure that thing saves the battery as long as it can for voice traffic when it's needed. So we drop it to one by one mode. And one by the one mode. mode, meaning it's just using one, it's receiving one downstream channel and if and only transmitting one upstream channel. Correct. Correct. So that's the battery backup mode. And the one underneath of it takes that a step further. That was part of Cable Labs as well. It's called energy management mode. And that that actually requires more of settings in the CM file, whereas the battery backup doesn't really care. It's just it just tells the, the same status the batteries like it's AC is off and batteries on. The energy management actually tracks a user configurable threshold of throughput. So you have to set that threshold in the CM file. And what happens is you could say, well, I'm going on vacation. My modem is transmitting less than one megabit per second over this time frame. Let's put it in one by one mode. So instead of having customers that go on vacation unplug their modems, you know, you could say, you know, I'm saving energy, I'm saving new energy out in the field. Uh, the homeowner, I'm saving energy because I'm putting it in one by one mode, so I can still use it for PNM. I can still use it for full bandwidth capture. I can still do, you know, uh, remote speed test to it. I can still do station maintenance. I can still have it in my configuration. You know, I still have control of it. I still have station maintenance. Now, how how do you know that the customer's going on vacation to put it in one by one mode? You don't. You don't. You don't. You're just saying what is the threshold for the throughput? Okay. So if the throughput drops below uh, a certain speed for a certain amount of time. And then you just make the assumption. You just make the assumption that uh, there's no traffic, so I might as well put it one by one mode. Okay, yeah, that's a cool feature. Yeah, and the modem doesn't go offline. It actually the downstream drops to the primary downstream, so it doesn't have to change the primary. Right, right, makes sense. Yep. So those are some features people are looking at nowadays. Yeah, very cool features. Mm -hmm. For right. next? Yeah, <laughs> that one slide took us all day. <laughs> so some other things I wanted to point out was uh, we have a command. Uh, I found that when, let's suppose you do 24 downstreams. Well, what if all 24 are primary capable? Mm -hmm. You're, you are replicating all the map traffic. So all the upstreams have to have downstream maps to do upstream scheduling. And you're putting all that information down every primary downstream. So when you go to 24 downstream, you might say, you know what? I'm better off making every other downstream primary 
to save almost 1.5 megabits per second. You know, yeah, 24. So there, there's that argument of of using secondary channels versus primary channels, and you're kind of saying this is this is an automatic way of doing that, right? No, no, I'm saying this is this is what I, one I would recommend that you don't make them all primary anymore. There's no need for it because your two O modems are going through attrition, so there should be less two O modems anyway. Uh, and then if you get rid of the primary capability on some of those downstreams, you gain more speed back. The command I'm pointing out here is I wanted to point out something that's even worse. People don't understand is if you're doing set-top boxes with multicast, we send all the multicast down every primary. But what if your set-top boxes are relegated to only, you know, maybe you're doing something with kid modem steering, uh, you're forcing the set-top boxes to maybe only four downstreams. Well, if all 24 are primary, all that multicast is being replicated down every single primary. Mm -hmm. So we came out with a command to say, all right, I can eliminate that multicast on certain primaries by putting this command in, cable downstream DSG disabled. So the primary, if you still have a lot of primaries for DOCSIS 2.0 modems and, and 2.0 traffic, uh, but you're not going to do any multicast or no set-top boxes on those downstreams, you can turn that multicast off. And that multicast could be five, six, seven dBm or seven megabit per second. Yeah, I don't know a, how much multicast. It's a significant amount of overhead that you have going down. Yeah, and maybe you don't even have set-top boxes going to those downstreams, so you're just wasting speed. Right. So that, that was, I wanted to point that out. The next one was service flows that don't tear down automatically. I've had some old EMTAs, I think it's a T8 timer, that the, the you know, customer went uh, off-hook and then on-hook, meaning you hung up the phone, and the service flow is still up. So it didn't tear down from the CMTS. So now the CMTS is eating up resources. It's scheduling flows on the upstream. So we have a catch-all command on the CMTS to tear flows down that have no activity. So I was recommending turn this command on. It's cable service flow activity timeout 300. So if there's no, if there's a flow with no traffic for 300 seconds, five minutes, then the CMTS can tear it down automatically. Right. It's kind of a catch-all. Good. Yeah, I've, I've had cases where I looked at uh, individual service flows and found a phone call that was up for like uh, 20 days. <laughs> 20 days? <laughs> like, why is this call up for 20 days? Yes, yeah, actually, I thought that was something that was taken care of a while ago. <laughs> I, so this command is not on by default. This is... No. no. This, this command needs to be enabled. Yeah. 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 I need to go back and do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one was deep DPON best practices. So if you go to the next slide, we actually go into RFOG. Uh, DPON is you know DOCSIS Passive Optical Network, also called RFOG, RF over glass. Uh, there are some specific settings and recommendations for a DPON system, uh, RF, RF over glass, because if you don't have proper settings, you have all these lasers potentially coming back on the upstream, colliding with each other, causing OBI. OBI is optical bead interference. So if you get an optical bead interference, depending if the optical link is AM, amplitude modulated, or frequency modulated, you're either going to get a lower MER or, or potentially for FM system, uh, frequency modulated laser, it'll just knock it out completely. So you can't have your neighbor doing two-channel upstream bonding with upstream two and three, and yourself doing upstream bonding with upstream zero one. Because now his laser will come on independent of your laser. So those two lasers are at the same wavelength. They're going to collide cause OBI. Right. And it's not just lower MER. I mean, it's uncorrectable co code word errors, no, it's, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really out. bad things for the subscriber that they're going to experience. 
Yeah, so OBI is a bad thing, and you can get some type of filtering, or you could just say, let's have this type of scheduler so that all the upstreams in the bonding group are really sort of one scheduler. So our uh, Cisco CMTS, we came up with a command called uh, Cable Upstream Depon, and that actually turns on this RFOG scheduler, and it's on an interface config now. So we have some recommendations on uh, getting the proper Depon uh, work, and I even have recommendations on mod profiles. What we found out is the lasers turn on and off really fast, and when the laser turns on fast enough, it's, and that's not the problem, it's turning off. What we found is one laser will turn off kind of slowly as the next one turns on, and you get uncorrectable effect. So we came up with some mod profiles to create more guard band and time delay between the upstream bursts. That way, if I have a little bit more guard time at the end of an upstream burst, even if the lasers come on and off and overlap a little bit, those that time frame was there was null bytes. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 so when also enabling this, are you're just ensuring that the the lasers when they're transmitting aren't transmitting on the same upstreams at the same time. You're forcing one to stay transmit on upstream zero while another one's one transmitting number. on upstream one, right? A laser doesn't know the difference between an upstream. Well, it it's, I'm know sorry, it's not the laser; up. it's the modem. It's the it's the modem bursting Correct. on upstream zero, upstream one. Correct, <laughs> Thank Correct. You, John, for correcting, <laughs> correcting so, my ignorance. <laughs> so, 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 to kind of put it in perspective, if you do an RFOG network, they should all be DOCSIS 3.0 modems. You shouldn't have any legacy set-top boxes. You shouldn't have any 2.0 modems. If you do have 2.0 modems in set-top boxes, they're all relegated to upstream zero. We force them all to upstream zero. So basically, you lose all the capacity of DOCSIS 2.0 load balance. Right. So the only thing and you're that's really congest, good for you... You're going to overly congest yeah, upstream yeah. zero in that case. Definitely. Definitely. So your your best bet is all DOCSIS 3.0. Let the modems burst from zero upstream 0, 1, 2, 3, uh, and get faster speeds, and then they can share that speed. Yep. All right. Good stuff. All right. Next slide. I think we're almost done. <laughs> now we're going to fly through the stuff. Um, this is just some new features. Uh, whoever you know, downloads the slides can look at some of these features. I'll go through uh, the remote five devices. This RPD, remote five stuff, is coming out now. Um, the data burst MER, I actually talked about that in the cable interface configuration. We now support 16 upstreams per MAC domain. So if you're doing multiple fiber nodes per service group and you want to do, say, five upstreams on one fiber node and five upstreams on another fiber node, that's 10 upstreams. Well, now we support that. Before, we only supported eight max. Energy management mode, I talked about that a little bit. DOCSIS 3.1 upstream is coming out. 3.1 graceful profile management. That's a cool one where the modems now uh, for DOCSIS 3.1 downstream, they could automatically drop from, say, 4K qualm to 2K qualm to 1K qualm and then upgrade themselves. So they don't go offline. You could have some modems that are end-of-line modem with poor MER. It's being reported back to the CMTS on all those little data subcarriers. And it can the CMTS can make a decision, hey, you're not appropriate for a 4K qualm. Let's drop you to 1K qualm. But your neighbor is actually still working at 4K qualm, so we'll just leave him at 4K qualm. So we can get a lot more capacity for the guys that are good and not have to drop everybody down just for the, a, bad, a couple bad apples. Now, how – I mean, you're almost getting into the point where – you're you could do this on a modem by modem basis or how, how granular can you get with the ability to handle into individual problems with modems? We're, we're finding that keep it simple, stupid, you know, that principle, KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, the modems only keep four 
profiles in their NVRAM plus the uh, control profile. So we're better off just doing four profiles. And I really think it's going to be 4K, 2K, 1K, and maybe 256 Qualm, or maybe 512. Maybe not even that. Maybe 256 Qualm as a control profile. Um, 1K, 2K, 4K, and maybe a mixed mod profile. So I basically have four major profiles, and modems are reporting their CM status messages for the MER of every subcarrier back to the CMTS, and CMTS can make a decision. Are you better suited for 4K, 1K, 2K? Maybe you're so bad that I'll force you on the control channel of 256 Qualm. But hey, maybe you have roll-off. Now throw that, that mixed mod profile in just because you have roll-off. So I think that's the, where things are going. Right. So it is a per modem, per modem though. And when, when you say 4K, that would be 4K for all subcarriers if the modem can support it. If not, it Correct. would drop to 2K for all subcarriers for that modem. So, so it's basically it's impacting all subcarriers. It's not like we're going to say, okay, you know, the, these first 200 subcarriers are going to operate at 4K. These next 2,000 subcarriers are going to operate at 1K. So it's not kind of like every subcarrier is going to have its own modulation. We're kind of going to bounce. Correct. It's, it's going to apply it across all subcarriers. Yeah, and, and I give an example of that last mod profile being a mixed profile. That one might be you know how your RF plant is. It rolls off at 750 megahertz. You might decide to do, to be safe, a 2K qualm from uh, 600 to 740 and then 512 from 740 to the rest of the 192 megahertz block because you know you're going to have roll-off. But that is only going to be used by modems that need to use it. Yeah, and and for anyone listening, when we say 2K QAM, that's 2048 QAM, 4K QAM is 4096 QAM, and and we're saying, well, what is you know what is that? We're we're kind of keep incre increasing these, so we're starting at 256 QAM, 512 QAM, 1048 QAM, 20 or 1024 QAM, 2048 QAM. They keep going up. These are all uh, these are all functions of two to the factor of something. So that, that's where we come up with these numbers. We're not just randomly making them up. Although John makes up a lot of things. I, I try to stick to the facts. <laughs> so. I mean, we're just, we're just making it more complex to get more speed out of the same bandwidth, yep. same spectrum. Yep, yep. Right. And actually, you know, you talk about, you know, the modulation stuff. To go to the next slide, I think I go into the 3.1 stuff a little bit more. There's a couple settings that we found the 3.1 is so robust from LDPC, the low density parity check, and the time and frequency interleaving that we are able to potentially ignore a certain percentage of subcarrier MERs and not have have the, the full OFDM block change just for a couple bad subcarriers. The default's only 2%, but we're finding that as a best practice, we're thinking about setting it up to 10%. Because the LDPC is so great. The, the time and frequency interleaving of the packets and the subcarrier stuff information is actually correcting quite a bit uh, when we have ingress and we have, say, ingress from LTE, the long-term long evolution 4G cell phones, that changing from 4K to 2K qualm just because I have 2 megahertz of ingress is actually a detriment, meaning I don't really need to because I'm not seeing packet drops anyway. So we're thinking that 10%, uh, ignore 10% of the subcarrier MER, and then look at the rest of the 90% of active subcarriers to make the decision of whether to drop to 4K or 2K or 1K qualm. Right. And even uh, given the MER readings, so that the, it's based on how much do I ignore, 
And what is the MER thresholds? Well, the MER thresholds are based on the DOCSIS 3.1 spec, which turn out to be about 6 dB more conservative than they really need to be. Yeah. So we have a, uh, we have a CMTS, uh, what would you call it? A, uh, uh, just kind of ignore or a threshold um, correction factor, if you will, in quarter dB. So I've been setting that to 12 quarter dBs, which is 3 dB. So I'm like, if 4K qualm can up, it, it's, the specs is 41 dB, I'm saying don't change my modulation 4K down to 2K unless it drops below 38 dB MER. Yeah, so I mean, basically what we're hearing time and time again is that DOCSIS 3.1 is working better than we even thought it would work working better than what we put in the DOCSIS specification and say, y'all, we need this minimum MER for uh, the data to go through, for the, uh, to actually perform in, in an impaired environment. It's, it's exceeding the MER because of the LDPC error correction. Now, we've moved right. from we Reed-Solomon error correction in earlier versions of DOCSIS. Reed-Solomon was a you know, it was an okay error correction. LDPC is just a phenomenal error correction algorithm. And we're finding a lot of systems could successfully run 4K qualm with the functionality of profile, graceful profile management. Because you can't just arbitrarily turn on 4K qualm and say everyone's going to be able to use it because you're going to have some end of lines that are bad. You're going to have some frequency response problems in certain houses. But having this graceful, graceful profile management kind of covers all that. And so once you have yeah, so once you have some modems that drop down in modulation, then you go troubleshoot those modems. Yep, fix those homes or the end of line issues, and now everyone can be a 4K qualm. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's a, a lot more functionality and flexibility we have now versus DOCSIS 3.0 and 2.0. The other next bullet point was correctable FEC. I wanted to point out with DOCSIS 3.1, you're going to get a lot of correctable FEC, so don't use that as any any gauge of the plant uh, health. Because with DOCSIS 3.1, how LDPC works, uh, all the packets, the symbols, the subcarriers, you're gonna get a lot of correctable FEC. That does not indicate that you're getting close to un uncorrectable FEC at all. So don't be scared when you start seeing 100% uncorrectable or correctable FEC. It's the uncorrectable we're worried about. Yeah, yeah, basically, I, I mean, to summarize, LDPC is, always going to start, well, not always, but if there's some impairment there, it's going to say, I've got uncorrectable FEC, but wait, let me iterate one more time, and I, I will be able to fix some of these correctable FECs. So it iterates again, and it, it's able to fix some, and maybe it has some correctable FECs left. It iterates another time, and it fixes more of those bits, and it keeps doing that over and over until it corrects all the original um, bit errors that it had. And that's, that's the cool thing with LDPC. Instead of just trying once and saying, yes, well, we have, we have FEC errors and giving up, it does it over and over and over again. So to your point, you're always going to see that we have some correctable FEC errors. Don't get upset about it. Correct. And then the last bullet point was kind of a did you know type of fact that uh, when I start deploying some 3-1 modems, the time offsets were extremely high. Uh, then we've realized that DOCSIS is based off a 10.24 megahertz clock, but DOCSIS 3.1 is based on a 204.8 megahertz clock. So if you do the math there, 10.24 versus 204.8, it's a 20x different. So what we're seeing with the time offsets from 3.1 modems, they're showing 20 times more time offset. Now that is not being used for the map advanced calculations, 
we actually just divide by 20 and we use that for math advanced calculations. So if you see three one motors with time offsets of like 18,000 or 40,000, uh, don't be uh, too concerned. Yeah, but that increased clock, that gives us a lot more accuracy. I mean, the, the timing accuracy is supposed to be much better, correct? In Docs 3.1? As my understanding, yes. Yeah. So, oh, that was a lot of good information, John. Yeah, a lot of yeah. good material in that presentation. Thank you. <laughs> it's a lot to go through. Yes, but it was part three of a three-part <laughs> series in presentation. So if we, if we rewind all this... We've got a, really a good series that we went through there. So tremendous amount of good information. Thanks so much for all, all the right. time and effort you put into that. Yeah, definitely. So, And then the three-one the three stuff, we're going to go – that's part of my – and hopefully you'll be in there as well. Uh, you're supposed to be co-authoring with me. <laughs> the, uh, the SCT Expo paper on uh, DOCSIS 3.1 Downstream Lessons Learned. Yes. So uh, I sub submitted to Prezo. Uh, I'll probably convert some of it to a paper and you and I can add some stuff to it and then we can point, you know, some of these, the audience here to that paper and presentation. Absolutely. I'll be going over the presentation this weekend and uh, I'll, I'll start working on some stuff with you as well. Sweet. All right. So, John, thanks again for a wonderful 15-minute session as we always plan these. We went an hour and 16 minutes. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for joining us and uh, we're going to call this a wrap. Time to get back to work. We'll sign off. Take care. Farewell. Thanks. Thank Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs>